Up next, Rob Smith is problematic, part of the Gingrich 360 Network. Yes, conservative former New York Times writer Barry Weiss is right. The world has gone mad. It has gone mad because we can't speak openly and honestly about issues. It has gone mad because there are people who will tell you that men can get pregnant and a three-year-old knows they're trans, among other lunacy. And if you point out that this is all completely insane, no, it is you that are the crazy one. This is Rob Smith is Problematic. So there was a very interesting interaction on CNN between former New York Times writer Barry Weiss, who's basically ran out of the New York Times with pitchforks and torches for the crime of being a conservative and actually, you know, delving into different topics and and having a point of view that was outside of the liberal orthodoxy of the New York Times office in Midtown Manhattan, you know, that bastion of open-minded conservative thought. She has now become quite successful on Substack. She publishes a a newsletter with hundreds of thousands of subscribers. Um, She's definitely a cultural leader that, you know, her ideas um, are are some of the few conservative ideas that actually are able to make their way into the mainstream. Um, And into the mainstream is where she had had this exchange with CNN's sort of media, quote-unquote, reporter, Brian Stolter. Um, And this exchange is going totally viral. And and look, this exchange between the two of them, between Bari and Brian Stolter, this says a lot about the state of our media today. This says a lot about the state of American discourse today. It says a lot about the state of our culture today when it comes to talking about some very hot-button issues. And, And I want you to listen to this. You write, there are tens of millions of Americans who aren't on the hard left or the hard right who feel the world has gone mad. So in what ways has the world gone mad? Well, you know, when you have the chief reporter on the beat of COVID for the New York Times talking about how questioning or pursuing the question of the lab leak is racist, the world has gone mad. When you're not able to say out loud and in public that there are differences between men and women, the world has gone mad. When we're not allowed to acknowledge that rioting is rioting and it is bad, and that silence is not violence, but violence is violence, the world has gone mad. When we're not able to say that Hunter Biden's laptop is a story worth pursuing, the world has gone mad. When in the name of progress, young school children, as young as kindergarten, are being separated in public schools because of their race, and that is called progress rather than segregation, the world has gone mad. There mm. are dozens of examples that I could share with, with you and with and your you viewers. And you often say, you say everyone allowed. Everyone sort of knows this. And you say we're not allowed, we're not able. Between, Who's the people stopping the conversation? Who are they? Um, people that work at networks, <laughs> frankly, like the one I'm speaking on right now, who try and claim that you know, it was it was racist to investigate the lab leak theory. It was. But I mean, who let's said just that take at an CNN? Example. But I'm just saying that when you say allowed, I just think it's a provocative thing you say. You say you say we're not allowed to talk about these things, but they're all over the internet. Well, what, I can Google them. I can Brian, find them everywhere. I've heard about every story you mentioned. So I'm just suggesting, of course, people are allowed to cover whatever they want to cover. But you and I both know, and it would be delusional to claim otherwise, that touching your finger to an increasing number of subjects that have been deemed third rail 
by the mm. mainstream institutions and increasingly by some of the tech companies will lead to reputational damage, perhaps you losing your job, um, your children sometimes being demonized as well. And so what happens is a kind of mm. internal self-censorship. This mm. is something that I saw over and over again when I was at the New York Times. This is a really good point that she made. First of all, um, if you can find this clip somewhere on Twitter, find it. I, the, the, you know, clip that I played, it has over a million views on Twitter. Um, just so that you can see Stelter sort of making these weird um, faces like, oh my God, this is crazy. Who is this crazy person I have on here? Um, there's a guy who, there's some liberal on Fox News that I battle sometimes um, named Richard Fowler. And when I watch back the clips of me speaking, you know, truth and, and him speaking in Democratic talking points, he makes these faces like, oh, like, this is crazy. Like, what? What is going on? It, it's very interesting. It, this is a subtle manipulation um, that people who are trained on camera do to make the other person seem as if they're insane, which obviously Barry Weiss is not. So, but it was very interesting to watch this clip and, and see Stelter, you know, make all of these faces. And it, it, it's also... He pretends um, as if there's nobody that is, you know, has their finger on, on the scale, has their thumb on the scale in the society, that there's nobody controlling the conversation when it comes to media and when it comes to corporations and when it comes to big tech. And of course, um, the conversation is being controlled by big tech. You know, Barry brought up the Hunter Biden laptop story. Like, this is something that was proven to be absolutely correct that was broken by the New York Post. And not only did um, Facebook, Twitter... YouTube, all of these people suppressed that story within six weeks of the election, I believe it was. And there are still people to this day that act as if the Hunter Biden laptop story, which is completely true, by the way, and, and you know, it was confirmed by some political reporters a couple of weeks ago, and they still try to pretend as if that doesn't exist. But it is idiotic to pretend as if there's not institutions that have their finger on the scale in terms of what is talked about. And so that is low-hanging fruit. You know, we talk about um, the corporate-controlled media all the time, and we know that they're garbage at, at this point. And, and, you know, people like Brian Stelter and, and people like Joy Reid and Don Lemon are at this point doing the bidding of, you know, their elite masters in, in the Democrat media, uh, in the corporate-controlled media. We all know that. The more interesting point that she makes is the point of self-segregation, or excuse me, of, of, of self-censorship, excuse me. And so that is the idea that if you want to say something, if you say something that you know to be true, that you know in your heart to be true, that most rational thinking people know to be true, um, you censor yourself for fear that you are going to be put into a category like those evil, nasty, mean, bad conservative people that, that just speak the truth. Um, and that is something that happens a lot. Honestly, when I came out as conservative and when I start saying the things that I was saying, um, I got tired of self-censorship. You know, if you guys know my background, you know that I had um, a pretty extensive career producing in the mainstream media. So I worked for NBC News. I worked for CNN. Um, I, I did, you know, all of this stuff. And there's a certain point where you just cannot say what is real because it goes um, it, it goes up against the orthodoxy of what these people are, are trying to push. So, of course, she's absolutely right. Um, like I said, you know, these third real topics that she talks about, of course, she talks about the Hunter Biden laptop story, which I think is one of the most egregious examples of media malpractice when it comes to really covering and really giving attention to a, a huge story. Now, this is something that had it been the other way around, 
you know, had somebody found Don Jr.'s laptop that had all sorts of crap on it, the crap that Hunter Biden's laptop had on it, you know, they would be, they would have book deals, they would have TV deals, they would have Pulitzers, the whole thing. And so that's one of the topics. And another one, another one of these third rail topics where, you know, you're not allowed to think a certain way, you're not allowed to say a a certain thing, um, is anything that has to do with transgender issues, particularly the transing of toddlers, and I've talked about this before, um, and, and the idea that a three-year-old boy, you know, just feels like a girl. So all of a sudden we're supposed to put them, you know, on puberty blockers and, and, and do all of this other stuff. Now, this is a conversation that is starting to break through a little bit. Um, and that is only because people have been bold enough to, to actually take it on. You have Abigail Schreier who wrote a brilliant book called Irreversible Damage, not about the transgender toddler issue, but about the transgender craze that is happening among young teenage girls in American society. So, of course, she's absolutely right. And I, I think the question is, and this is a question that they didn't have enough time to really delve into, you know, via this segment. You know, Stolter, Bari Weiss is, is kind of, she, there's a position that she's in right now where she's the acceptable conservative to have on mainstream media uh, and to have this conversation because she has, you know, these sort of um, elitist bona fides because she used to work at the New York Times, right? So she's the safe one to have on. Um very rarely is there a conservative commentator that is even allowed, you know, through the doors at, at CNN or MSNBC or any of the other mainstream outlets. Um, that is not somebody that at some point had, you know, held office in Republican politics. So the idea of self-censorship is a real one. And I just talked to a very dear friend of mine. Actually, we had brunch yesterday and um, she's a Democrat. This is a dear friend, has been a friend for probably going on, you know, eight, 10 years at this point. And she has told me before that she just stays out of the conversations, you know, whether it be on Facebook, on social media, etc., because she has ideas that do not align with the mainstream orthodoxy that you have to align with to be called a Democrat, to be called a liberal, to be called whatever. And she told me that she's just so much happier that she has decided to just not engage in any of it at all. And so that's where we're at in society right now. And you guys know how I feel about Twitter and Facebook and Instagram. You know how I feel about social media. Um, And it is the fault of social media for putting us into this position. But you also, and I also have to say, there are a lot of weak people in society. This era that we're in right now, I'm telling you, and there's a saying, it's, it's something about strong times create um, strong, no, hard times create strong men, um, good times create weak men. We are in an era right now of, I think, some of the weakest people that we have had. You know, in, in, in my recent memory, we have had, we have people who will not speak the truth because they are afraid of being bashed. They are afraid of being called conservatives, Trump supporters, Republicans, etc., And so you have people that are afraid to speak the truth about trans issues. You have people that are afraid to speak the truth about the Hunter Biden laptop story. You have people, and this is a very interesting thing that that Bari brought up in this clip, is that you have liberals, you have people on the left that cannot even speak of the body count that the BLM protests of the summer of 2020 have. People died during these protests, by the way, way more people than died during the Capitol riots of January 6th, but yet you're allowed, 
to speak um, of the Capitol riots in that way. And you were allowed to make this seem like this was just this violent, insane insurrection. You know, this is what they say in the mainstream media. But if you are, you know, a good little liberal or a good little Democrat, you are not allowed to say that the BLM riots of 2020 led to dead bodies. I believe that um, over 10 people died, probably more. You are not allowed to say that this led to billions of dollars worth of property damage. So in effect, you are not allowed to speak the truth. And it's not just liberals, by the way, that are, are falling prey to this. You know, sometimes as a conservative, you know, in the conservative movement, it's like there are things that you are not allowed to say as conservatives. And, and you know, I kind of buck the trends a little bit. And, and I say these things. I, I call out conservatives. I call out some of these Republicans in office. I call out what I said, what I call is the uniparty. But what I will say is that having weak people with, with prominent platforms, having weak people who are afraid to speak truth is not going to bode well um, for the future of American society. Having weak Republican leaders, having weak Democrat leaders, having weak people that have very prominent positions in media is not going to bode well for the future of our country. Because we are in a we're in a place right now where people are dying for truth. They are dying and screaming for truth, for facts, for somebody to be completely real and honest with them. This is, I believe, one of the only reasons why I've gotten the platform that I have, because I just speak the truth. I don't think that there's anything fundamentally controversial about anything that I'm saying, anything that I have ever said in however many episodes of this podcast, however many news hits that I've done, um, however many uh, podcasts from other people, of, of other people that I've done, there's nothing fundamentally crazy about anything that I'm saying. It is just truth. And as long as we have too many people in the society that are afraid to speak truth, as long as we have too many people that are afraid to stand up and say what's real, to say the things that we are all seeing with our own two eyes, we will continue um, to be this polarized in society. And we will continue to, to have these conversations or to not be able to have these conversations because people are too weak and too afraid to step up and speak the truth. This is what Barry Weiss is talking about. So yes, she is right that the world has gone mad. The world has gone mad when people are afraid to speak truth. The world has gone mad when too many people have gotten too huge of a platform and too big of a megaphone by basically shaming and shutting up people that are speaking the truth. And until Americans start standing up, more Americans, right? As soon as more Americans start standing up and speaking this truth and not being afraid to be canceled... We will start becoming sane again. But until then, Barry Weiss is right. The world has gone mad. The only thing that is going to restore sanity back to the world at this point is truth. And we need people, more people, that are bold enough to bring the truth and to speak the truth. Herman Cain and Colin Powell are two Republicans that unfortunately succumbed to complications from the coronavirus. The media's treatment of both says a lot about the sickness of our discourse in America. I'm going to break that down up next. You know, this um, morning I woke up to the news. You know, I'm working out with my my iPad. I'm, I think I was lifting weights today. And I get an Apple News alert. It said Colin Powell 
had died of complications due to the coronavirus. I was like, oh man, what a loss. You know, Colin Powell was was a great man. I didn't even know that he was the first black secretary of state, which was very interesting. So, you know, he was a secretary of state. You know, there were some stain. He did not have a perfect legacy. He will say himself that some of the faulty intelligence that he helped push that led up to the Iraq war, I think that he has, you know, had a lot of remorse for that. So he's not a perfect, you know, public figure, but always one um, that is respectable, always one that a lot of people had a lot of respect from um, on both sides of the aisle. And, you know, I can probably, you can probably know why he's getting the respect that he's getting from the left, um, which is basically because he voted for Obama twice and ended up leaving the party, the Republican Party, towards the end of his career, right? That's the surefire way to love to be loved by the left when you make an entire career of yourself, uh, an entire career in Republican politics. But either way, he's getting a lot of bipartisan support from people. And a very interesting thing about how the death of Colin Powell has been covered. First of all, his family released a statement on Facebook um, that basically, you know, General Colin L. Powell, former U.S. Secretary of State and Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, passed away this morning due to complications from COVID-19. This is what the Powell family wrote on Facebook, noting that he was fully vaccinated. And I want to give you an example of how this is reported on CNN. Noting that he was fully vaccinated is a link to an article that basically says new CDC data shows the risk of dying from COVID-19 is 11 times higher for unvaccinated adults than for fully vaccinated adults, right? So this is the link that CNN puts in in basically what is um, a, a news article and obituary for, for Colin Powell. And this is another thing. So Powell had multiple myeloma, which is a cancer of plasma cells that suppresses the body immune response, um, body's immune response, as well as Parkinson's. Um, okay, so everybody knows that those who are immunocompromised are at greater risk from the virus. We have all known this. Anybody that has paid attention to the coronavirus pandemic and all of that stuff, we have known this stuff. And we have also known that Colin Powell, you know, Colin Powell is 84 years old. Um, so he was 84 years old and immunocompromised. And even though he got the vaccine, he succumbed, unfortunately, to coronavirus. And I'm going to bring up a couple of things. First of all, the fact that his parent, his parents, his family knew that the conversation around coronavirus is so fraught, it is so disgusting right now, that they had to make a note that he was fully vaccinated when they told people that he died because they knew exactly what the response would have been had he been somebody that decided not to get vaccinated. It may have been a response that was very similar to the response that Herman Cain got when he died of COVID complications last year. Right. So we remember Herman Cain, great man, um, great man, a Trump supporting Republican went from I believe he went from being a janitor to the CEO of Godfather's Pizza. Right. It's just a huge, huge American success story. It was chronicled in a movie that Larry Elder did called Uncle Tom, which I had a very, very small part in. I believe that that is available on Amazon Prime right now. So definitely um, check that out to get, you know, Herman Cain's story. But, you know, when Herman Cain died of coronavirus complications, the left pretty much spit on his grave. Uh, they were dancing on his grave the day that his death was announced. He was a crazy. He was a, he was a kook. He was a Trump supporter. He, you know, was an anti-masker. He was all these things. So in the left's estimation, he deserved to die. And this is what, you know, somebody said on Twitter, um, basically, and this is a very good point. He wrote this. 
Herman Cain dies of COVID complications, and he's an unvaccinated Trump-supporting kook. Colin Powell dies of COVID complications, and he's a double-vaxxed, never-Trump nobleman. Our media is beyond disgusting and dishonest. You know, it's absolutely right. It is absolutely correct that there was a double standard for Colin Powell that, you know, Herman Cain, excuse me, Colin Powell got far better and far more respectful treatment from dying from from COVID complications than Herman Cain did. Who, by the way, Herman Cain um, was also like a stage four colon cancer survivor, had stage four colon cancer at the time as well. So this is somebody that already, you know, had complications even before he got the coronavirus. And this was before, by the way, um, the vaccines were widely available. This is when Herman Cain died. So just the idea that he wasn't going to lock himself up in his house for the rest of his life and the idea that he knew correctly that masks do absolutely nothing. Okay, so to the left, that meant that he deserved to die, basically. And I remember seeing um, some of the reactions to Herman Cain's death on, on social media from the left, and it was disgusting. It was gross. It, it really was. And it, it really does make you, you know, weep for humanity, how nasty people can be. And the interesting thing about this is there is now a Reddit subgroup, right? And this is basically, (laughs) this is a group that is the Herman Cain Awards, right? And so basically what this is, this is a subreddit on, this is a subreddit on Reddit, which is basically where leftists go to celebrate the deaths of conservatives who have died from COVID-19. And this is a, this is so gross, but this is a very real thing that exists. And I'm going to read you some of these things um, that, that come from the Reddit. Close friend from high school posted anti-vax pro-Trump stuff on Facebook. Going to collect his award soon. His stepmom is still anti-vax. It's basically laughing at somebody that's in the hospital for coronavirus complications. My great aunt used my COVID vax story as justification for herself and others not to get vaccinated. Now she is dead. My former high school chemistry teacher is dead. Someone tried to warn him. And this is what somebody else writes. The Trump-tard rapture continues. So this is kind of where we are right now. And this writer, there's a writer for the Daily Signal. His name is Douglas Blair. He made a very good point in this commentary that he wrote. And this is where we are as a society. This is what he said. Death threats and celebrating the deaths of one's opponents in politics, while sickening, are nothing new. Politicians on both sides of the aisle have faced their fair share of threats to themselves and their families. And when a prominent member of the political class dies, it's a given the internet will be full of comments celebrating their death. But this venom, once reserved for politicians, has now been extended to the average American living a private life. This is from Douglas Blair at The Daily Signal. And this is where we are as a society, folks. And I think that this is, you know, so indicative of where we are. This is so indicative of the standard that Herman Cain was held to, that that Colin Powell kind of got a pass on because of the left. And you you cannot dismiss the fact that Colin Powell had said, you know, he started saying around the Obama era, when Obama was running for president, he endorsed Obama. Um, he voted for Obama twice. He said, you know, I've got to leave the Republican Party. It's too divisive. It's this, it's this, it's that. And I'm telling you guys, and this is no disrespect to Colin Powell, who who I think is a, is a great, great statesman. He's a great man. 
The only Republican that the left respects and loves is a dead Republican who was anti-Trump and who voted for Democrats for, you know, the last couple of decades of their lives, right? And so this is where we are. And when you get to a point where you have subreddits on social media, we are celebrating the deaths of private citizens because they have a different opinion when it comes to the vaccine than you, or they have a different opinion um, when it comes to politics from you, when we're celebrating the deaths of these people, granted, it is via, you know, anonymity on a Reddit subthread, right? So there's an idea that people, probably if they had to have their, their real identity, you know, if they had to be verified and had to have their real identity, they probably wouldn't say some of these things. At least I would hope so. But, you know, some of these people would say that. Um, And so this is where we are as a society. And this is something that we really, really, really need to think about. Um, This is something that we need to grapple with. Um, And and this is something that we really do need to have a reckoning with as a society. Are we going to hate people because they think differently from us? Are we going to despise and loathe people because they think differently when it comes to the coronavirus, because they may have voted for Trump or because they voted for Biden or because they don't think the same way that our tribe does politically? This is where we are. Social media is a big factor in all of this. But like I said before, you know, we all have the ability and We all have the control of our own destinies and and what we put out in the world to decide that we are not going to be these people. And I hope that, God, for God's sakes, whether it's Herman Cain that died or whether it's Colin, Colin Powell that died, I just wish that we could have the same standard for everybody, regardless of vaccine statuses, regardless of politics, regardless of any of the other crap. Because where this is going right now like I said, does not bode well for us as Americans. And this is something that we really honestly, truly have to figure out because it's sick. It's not right. And I don't like it when it comes from either side of the aisle. Next up in some non-politics news, new horror sequel Halloween Kills doesn't kill. In fact, it barely even maims. In fact, it bores. More of my thoughts on this horror sequel after the break. All right, Problematics, it is spooky season. It is Halloween season. And I got to tell you guys, if you know me, you know that I love horror movies. I am completely obsessed with them. And this time of year is one of my favorite times of year. You know, you get to see all the horror movies. You get to go to the haunted houses and, and get scared. You get to do all of these things. Now, the Halloween series, Michael Myers... It is one of my favorite movie series. I think that Halloween is the best slasher of all time. And I can remember when I first saw the original Halloween, and I mean the original 1978 Halloween. It was not in the movie theaters. I am not that old. I wasn't even born when the original Halloween came out. But I remember being maybe 11 or 12. And I don't know. It was just, it was on broadcast television. It was on, um, it was on one of the, the broadcast networks. I was watching it alone in the house. And what you have to understand about the original Halloween movie, it's it's more or less bloodless. Um, there's a lot of suspense, and it is very, very scary. But it is not very graphic, and it's not even all that bad. It's violent. People die. It's a horror movie, of course. But it's not graphically and bloodily violent, right? 
So I'm watching this movie, this horror movie, as maybe, you know, 12, 13 years old. And there's a scene where, and I think I didn't even watch the, I didn't even come into it the whole thing. I think I just flipped the channel and it was this, there's this long sequence that is absolutely terrifying where Jamie Lee Curtis finds the dead bodies of all of her friends, all of her friends. Um, then all of a sudden, uh, Michael Myers comes out, you know, attacks her, stabs her on the shoulder. She falls down the stairs and he's just chasing her all across the street. And just this creepy, creepy, creepy music starts playing. And my God, I was terrified. I can remember there are maybe two horror movies Maybe three that I can remember just being frozen in fear. This is one of them. Uh, another one is The Exorcist, and I think another one is The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I was just frozen in fear. So that was, you know, a part of, you know, my the start of my love for the Halloween series. So I've seen all the sequels, yes, even part three, which is really weird. Um, I mean, I don't know, just get really drunk and watch Halloween 3. It has nothing to do with Michael Myers. It is just the weirdest movie. I'm just like, I don't know what these people were smoking when they created that movie, but whatever. It's just bizarre. So I've seen all these sequels. Um, so I had very, very, very high hopes for Halloween Kills. I was so excited to see this movie. I was like, yeah, Jamie Lee Curtis and Michael Myers, and I heard it's going to be so graphic and brutal and bloody and all of these other things. Now, the 2018 Halloween remake I thought was good. I thought it had great acting, and I thought it had a really good story, um, and it was very suspenseful, and it was violent enough. It didn't really stick the landing. I didn't think that the ending was that great, because probably, obviously, as we see, I think that they were leaving kind of an opening for a sequel, or in this case, we see two sequels. So, back to Halloween Kills. I was very disappointed. It had so many problems, guys. Um, so many problems. It, it was the fundamental, most crucial problem that this movie had was that it was a horror movie that just wasn't really all that scary. In fact, it was kind of boring, to tell you the truth. It was meandering. It was kind of boring. It was very violent, which I loved. It was very bloody. Like, some of the kills were incredible. I really loved, like, you know, you got um, Michael Myers, you know, they... they um, he comes out of the burning house, and then he just uses the axe to attack all the firemen and all that stuff. Great. Good stuff. Good stuff. And the movie was just pretty much all downhill from there. It just wasn't scary. It was violent, and it was bloody, and it was graphic, but it wasn't scary, and it wasn't suspenseful, and it was very meandering. It was just all over the place, and it was boring. I just, I sent my friend a text when I had went to the bathroom in the middle of the movie, and I sent my friend a text. I have a, a friend from college, and we text each other about horror movies and stuff, and I said, oh my god, this pacing is absolutely deadly. And the pacing is just deadly. I mean, it just is so long in between anything that's going on, and then there's this social commentary about mob mentality that they're trying to get to. And and I believe that there was something, and, and obviously, you know, they haven't really talked about this in interviews, but I believe there's this mob mentality. I think that they're trying to make some sort of cultural reference to probably the Capitol riots and probably all this other stuff. So they're trying to do all of these things. But the thing about it is, is that it's just not good. There's no real suspense. I just did not enjoy it. And, you know, when a horror movie is over in the crowd, you can get a sense of whether people liked it or not. You can get a sense of there's there's a murmuring, there's a tittering, there's a sort of excited laughing or, or, or talking or, or anything like that that's happening as people are leaving the theater. And in this movie, there was no, it was just silent. 
I mean, the movie was just over, and it just has, and it just has this ending that I just didn't love, and it was very much a middle movie. So they're making a new Halloween trilogy, and this was the middle part of the movie, so nothing really happens, honestly. Um, this is just kind of filler to get them from point A to point C. Um, point A being the original um, Halloween remake, the 2018 one, and point C being whatever the sequel is that they're going to complete this trilogy with. And also, oh my god, I, I almost forgot, the fundamental problem with this movie is that there's not enough Jamie Lee Curtis. Jamie Lee Curtis is Halloween. She is the Halloween franchise. Why bring Jamie Lee Curtis back and not use her? She doesn't even leave the hospital. She's in the hospital this entire movie. She does not, she's not involved in any of the action, really. Um, she's in maybe four scenes of the movie, and they don't even get to her uh, until, I think, like 45 minutes to an hour in. So just a lot of bad choices in this movie. So, you know, it's, I'm glad that it's a hit. I'm glad that it's doing well. I mean, like $50 million um, at the box office, you know, people will go see horror movies. I go see all of these movies, all of them, even the bad ones. I see all of them just because I love them. I love, I love being scared. I love these types of movies. Um, and I'm glad that this is a hit because, look, we need to start getting back to normal. I, I want It's good for business. It's good for people. It, it's good for everybody when these movies do well. But, my God, this is literally one of the worst Halloween sequels ever. And, I mean, I'm talking about this ranks up with five and six and just how tone deaf and just, just how bad it is. So, my thoughts and, and my hopes, I, I hope to God that they look at the critical response that this sequel has gotten because, guys, the sequel is just not good. And I wanted to love this sequel so bad because I love these movies. I wanted to love it. I did not love it. In fact, I hated it. And look, I, I saw some of the, the little recaps on YouTube, and I'm starting to wonder, like, did I miss something? Should I go see this again? Uh, I don't know. I just didn't like it. Uh, for me, it is what, it is probably the most disappointing movie of the last five years, one of the most disappointing horror sequels of all time, and, and one of the worst Halloween sequels, I gotta say. And take it from somebody that loves these movies, and that makes a lot of excuses for them. Take it from me, guys. Halloween kills, my God, it, it's just not good. And as much as I wanted it to be good, it is just not. And God, man, I don't even know what to say about this. Halloween Kills is just not good, folks. Find something better to do with your holiday season or with your Halloween season than to watch this awful sequel. Better yet, when it, if it's on Peacock for free, just stream it there. Don't go see it. It's awful. But I'm such a sucker for horror movies. I'm going to probably go see the final one in the trilogy when it's out next year because they're probably going to correct some of these mistakes and it's probably going to be good. And let's hope that it has more Jamie Lee Curtis, more suspense, and more real scares because Halloween Kills did not have enough of any. Before we go, I want to thank my fellow problematics so much for listening. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a review and rate us with five stars on Apple Podcasts. And to hear more of my episodes and to get my weekly newsletter, go to Gingrich360.com slash Rob. You can also find me on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Rob Smith Online. Special thanks to our producer, John Cassio, researcher Aaron Kliegman, and executive producers, 